0: Hello and welcome to the podcast on Emanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at emmanuelag.com. Remember, we are blessed to be a blessing. So we're gonna jump right back into some things we've been talking about. We have been looking back in order to move forward. If you'll throw up just our title slide, yeah, Rick loves movies, and he created me a snazzy little slide there. We're looking back to move forward, and we've been talking about how this idea of remembering is, is even commanded in the Old Testament, as God would speak to the Israelites and say, remember what I have done for you, specifically remembering the Passover, what we've just observed, what we're still in the celebration of. The, the literally the epitome of salvation and what God has done for us from our life of slavery to sin and how he is bringing us into his promise and his promised land for us. And so it was funny because Mary this week, she sent me a podcast early in the week. She's like, I was just listening to this. It's exactly what we've been talking about out of Brooklyn Tabernacle. It was a guest pastor that was speaking there at Brooklyn Tab. And he was speaking exactly on this same idea on remembering well. And so it's not a new idea. It's, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, but I would really challenge us as we're continuing to think about this today of how our remembering will really transform our future. And of course, there is a right way of remembering and there is a wrong way. There's a perspective and a lens that we're gonna discuss again today in light of what Jesus has done for us. And so have you ever needed, have you ever found yourself in a place where you just needed God's encouragement? I mean, you are doing, you think everything you can you are even maybe even what you feel like following God's will, or you're trying to work on that relationship, but it just doesn't seem to be going anywhere. And you just like, is anything working? Is it, am I doing the right thing? And you've been, I know you've been there. I'm not the only one, but you just, you're in that moment where you need encouragement. Well, that happens sometimes to us uh, at Kiko where I work. And this past, it was a couple of weeks ago. If you'll throw up that first photo, this young man came up and began to talk to us. This is, it's spelled Daryl, but it's pronounced Daryl. This is Darrell. So Daryl or Darrell, as he says, Darrell came up to me and he's like, hey, why do y'all do this? We're packing up. He's in middle school, mind you. And I've only been in his neighborhood, Montgomery Village, for about a year and a half now. It's one of our newer communities where I work. In case you didn't know, uh, full-time, I'm with an urban youth ministry. Um, We work in a lot of our uh, 11 different communities currently with our different teams, Um, just really investing in in the young folks and and, and really connecting with their families. And Darrell, typically, I'll just tell you, a young man at his age, when I showed up a year and a half ago, would have already been down the path that he was headed. Does that make sense? It it would be really hard for me to re-navigate the direction that he was going to go. But somehow he's connected to us and he began to come up as we're packing up. And I assume most of these middle schoolers are helping me pack up so they can play basketball. <laughs> okay. Cause I'm using their court. And so I'm assuming, okay, thanks guys. I know why you're helping me. You want me to give you a treat when we're done, like a popsicle or something and you want the basketball court back. And so Darrell, he just starts, he starts asking, he's like, why, why do you come here? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, no, why do you, why do you come here and tell us about Jesus? and I go into like my story, right? I go into my testimony. I'm like, man, because my life got changed when I was a teenager and people invested in me and I had, yeah, I had a good family, but man, it was those people that were there for me. And I was like, I have no idea without Jesus where I would be. I'd probably be addicted somewhere strong. I'm hoping I'd still be alive, but I don't know. And he's like, no, 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 I don't wanna know your business. I don't wanna know your personal story. I'm like, what do you wanna know, Darrell? You know, (laughs) Daryl. And so Darrell, he's like, No, 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 no. I want to know why do you choose to come here? And these are his words, in the hood, risking your life to tell us about Jesus. And so I was starting to connect the dots for him. He knew other people that were Christians, but they weren't showing up where he lived. And so I was like, I was like, okay, I hear what you're saying. I can't answer it for everyone else. Um, and so we just began to talk. And he said, Man, he said, some of my friends started coming. And he said, they were saying, man, I'm going to kick out. I'm sitting there and it's just starting to change my life. I'm learning so much about God. And and I'm like, my, my mouth's starting to drop. I'm trying to keep it up. You're supposed to not act surprised when your kids tell you things. So they continue to tell you things. A little tidbit there. Don't act shocked at the questions they ask if you want another one down the road. And so he's telling me this. I'm like, okay, yeah. He said, but then I came. He said, and just a few weeks ago, He said, I was getting bullied at school. This one kid, I was so mad at him. He was taking my money, there was nothing I could do about it. He was bigger than me. He said, and I came, slid in the back. And at the end, what y'all were talking about with that story, we have a life story. We hold up posters and ties to the lesson that we're teaching that day. He said, you were talking about this rock that was being bullied and he could choose, was he gonna be greater than the one was bullying him and choose to forgive and take the high road, which looked low for us in our culture. He said, as you were talking about that, he said, I just felt my heart. I felt it begin. These are his words. A 12-year-old in Montgomery Village, I don't know how he had the emotional intelligence to literally put it in these words because I didn't at his age. He said, I felt my heart begin to open up so that I could trust people again. I know my jaw was open (laughs) then. Yeah, amen. Amen for what God does with the power of his word. But sometimes we need to be reminded that our efforts are making a difference. Sometimes we just need to be reminded that you're on the right path. Remember the Israelites, God did not take them the shortest distance to get them where they were going. He knew that there would be too many enemies, that they would give up, they would lose heart, they would grow faint and weary and and, and throw in the towel and wanna go back. They still wanted to go back, even though God took them in a roundabout way to get there. And we don't always understand the path that God takes us, but he is faithful to get us there because he's a good God. And he will give us these reminders, these moments of hope and glimmer of impact to keep us on our course. Sometimes we just need to be reminded that he's in it, that God hasn't forgotten you, that he's still at work, that his hand is evident in your life. And I'm so so reminded that he not only spared us, some of the things that we will walk into, but he will still continue to lead us. And as we look back and remember, this is what God commanded the Israelites. And I want us to look back even before the Exodus, just a few verses. I'm gonna rattle through some of these as my opening. If you missed all the really good, funny stories, go and get on our podcast. Those are the previous two weeks. Today, we're just gonna go through a plethora of verses talking about God's remembering power. Here we go, Genesis 8, one, quickly moving. But God remembered Noah talking about doing a word study on, on remember, the power of it. He remembered him and he allowed him to gather all the wild animals and livestock that were with him in the ark. And then Genesis 9, 15, quickly moving. I will remember, the Lord says, I will remember my covenant between me and you and never again will the waters become a flood. Talking about the power of remembering. Genesis 19, 29. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe. Genesis 30, 22, then God remembered Rachel. And if you know the story there, she was barren, not a, able to um, have children. And the Lord allowed her to conceive. He remembered her. And then in one of our highlight verses, Exodus two twenty four. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob. Deuteronomy seven eighteen. remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves, what has God done in my past? We need to recount his faithfulness. And this was the constant command. You think about when they would cross a sea, typically a body of water, they would cross it and then they would leave a pile of, does anybody remember? Rocks to commemorate what had happened there. I think my kids believe this happens every day in their yard because they leave a pile of rocks literally everywhere. And then Joe, we go mowing and throwing those suckers, breaking windows. He knows. And so we literally need sometimes this, the ability to look back at something, that to, to even memorialize what God has done in our life, because we experience what I like to call spiritual amnesia. We forget His faithfulness. We forget His involvement. We forget where He has been with us. Especially because our flesh and the enemy and everything around us and our culture wants to remind us of what we don't have, what we're not currently walking in, the freedom that we're not experiencing. If you're like me, you walk into the house and you notice everything that's not where it's supposed to be. That's not the way our God has wired himself, so to speak. He sees what isn't, even when it isn't there yet. He's pulling that out of us. And sometimes we just need to remember that he is faithful. The one who began this work in you will be faithful to finish it. He's the one at work. Moving quickly to Nehemiah 4.14. Nehemiah said this as as he stood over the people. He looked things over and he said, don't be afraid of all these naysayers. How I mean, you know, even when you're recounting God's faithfulness, you're going to have some haters in this life. Some people that are not going to understand why you're choosing to do what you're choosing to do, why you want to continue down this path, because it doesn't look like it's leading to anywhere. But Nehemiah says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who was great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. Wow, what a verse. If I was to get something tattooed somewhere, I won't tell you where, but this might be one of them right here. That's a good one. I'm looking for my wife. Yeah, that was across the line. She just told me. You know, there are certain things though that embody who we are. And we're going to get to one of my favorite verses, probably what I would consider one of my life verses. And it would be something that that I would say God has tattooed in my spirit and on my heart. And Psalm 77 continues along this, this uh, channel of remembering. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Yeah. Psalm 98.3, he has remembered his love and his faithfulness. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Psalm 105.5, remember the wonders he has done. Psalm 143.5, I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. And one of my favorites, Habakkuk 3.2, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in all of your deeds. God, would you do it again? Would you repeat them in our day, in our time, make them known? Boy, I pray this for our nation in wrath. Lord, remember mercy. Remember mercy, God. And finally, this is where I want us to pick up where we're headed today in remembering 2 Timothy 2 7 and 8. Paul says to Timothy, he says, reflect on what I'm saying, Timothy, for the Lord's going to give you insight into all of this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. Wow. This is the gospel, not just Jesus crucified but raised from the dead. What would we have to show for our eternity if Jesus has simply been the, the necessary sacrifice, but yet did not live again? We would still have atonement, but we wouldn't have eternity to spend with our father in heaven, which Jesus understood that he had to defeat the penalty of our sin, which was death. And he did that through his resurrection, defeating death hell in the grave. And so we're going to dive into one of my favorite chapters. This is, this is probably one that um, I would say as a, as a young person, and even to today, is just literally one of my favorites. We're going we're to spend some time in Romans chapter 8. Does anybody else in this house, you have like a verse that has just kind of been your guiding light through your life. You've kind of looked back on it. I see Annette's hand back there. You know, sometimes I think there's seasons even where God will have us literally walking through a verse or a passage that makes sense. It lines up with where he's got us in that moment. And for me, and, and I think even for my mom, um, there was a verse in here that we both have clung on to, Romans eight twenty eight. You know, that even the things that happen in our life, that he's going to work all things out for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purposes, his plans. And you know, that's, that's something that I've always clung on to. I think that's one of the most powerful verses for me. But this chapter, this chapter is so rich. Let's look at what he begins to address. Is He's addressing condemnation. And if you remember, we kind of looked at this a little bit last week. How many of you remember we we addressed there was a trifecta and I had a couple of uh, texts, emails, Facebook messages trying to clarify what it was I was trying to say regarding shame, guilt, and condemnation? Because oftentimes when ourselves, uh, when we want to remember things that it's not a perspective the Lord wants us to have, it often comes with these layers of shame, guilt, and condemnation. And the enemy would love for us to just pitch a tent there, to have our pity party, to stay right there. Uh, But that is what God wants to literally extract us from so that we can walk in his freedom. So when we look back, we have to look back with a lens that God is wanting us to have with his faithfulness, not in our failure. You understand? There's a big difference when we look back and that's not the Holy Spirit reminding us of our failure in a way that is beating us up, that is dragging us back, that is making us feel you know, powerless. And so what is guilt? I defined it this way. Guilt is simply related to the actions we have done. We are guilty because of something we have done. And oftentimes even guilt can be associated. In some of the classes we go through and um, we, we did some training on trauma, you learned that there was even maybe a moment when something was being done to you that you associate some guilt with because you knew everything that was happening was wrong, but you didn't change the course of where it was headed. And so sometimes we carry guilt. We feel like, oh man, this is what I did. We begin to think that we deserved it. We, remember, we begin to think that we're worthless, that God in that guilt that we're carrying, this is just, this is kind of par for the course. This is what he has for me now. And we begin to relate that to our identity, which is where shame, I believe, guilts uglier brother. I've got an uglier brother too. I don't know if you do. No, just kidding. And my nephew's here. I'm glad my sister wasn't. But I do have an older brother and I believe shame is really that uglier older brother to guilt because guilt. Shame really likes to hit who you are, your identity. Yeah, this is what you did, but that's because you're just, you're, not, you're a terrible person. You're worthless. You'll never be worthy. You'll never be what God, you're broken. You can't be fixed. You see, we like to see what we did. Okay, those are the facts. But then the enemy likes to compound it and say, but this is who you are. And we walk in this, and I don't know about you, but I've had to learn that there are a lot of things I do that I react out of guilt and shame. They're shame-based living. And we realize that, oh man, I'm out of control in my life and I can't get it under control because we never will. That's not the gospel. Remember, the gospel is simply this, that what we couldn't do, Christ did. So that right here, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who figure it out on their own. For those who go to enough therapy sessions, for those who listen to enough podcasts that are related to self-help, which are mostly what I'm listening to to figure myself out, right? But there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's the only one in verse 2 that will see, where does it take us in verse 2? I'll have to go to my own notes apparently because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life who gives us life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so condemnation related to that whole cycle of that three-headed enemy that wants to rear its head of guilt, shame, and condemnation. Condemnation is literally just the judgment that would be deserved, the, the verdict that would be delivered because of what you have done and who you now believe you are. But Jesus saying, because of who I am and what I have done, that is removed. That is not in your story any longer. That is out of the picture. And when someone causes us to look back, it is not the Holy Spirit that would make us look back with guilt and with shame and believing that this is our judgment. This is the condemnation we live under. Because as brothers and sisters in this house, that is not who you are and where you stand before our God. So let's look at this. I love these verses. What a weird resurrection sermon, Michael. Yeah, maybe. We're getting somewhere. Stick with me. So he talks about this and he begins to to talk about how in verse one, that that guilt and shame was going to be also removed attached to that condemnation because it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, Galatians 5.1. And we look at the familiar story of what the Israelites even did. You remember how we even quoted that verse? How they were more comfortable in their slavery; they wanted to go back. Moses, we could, they had were there not enough graves in Egypt? Are you serious? Well, they, there was plenty of food. We, yes, we were making bricks every day. Yes, there was no freedom. Yes, we couldn't make our own choices. We couldn't think for ourselves. But they were more comfortable in that slavery than walking into the unknown of God's promises. Let me say that again, because sometimes this happens to us. This happens to me. This happens to you. We get so comfortable. And that that's just the way that relationship's always gonna be. We get so comfortable in that, no, God's really not gonna provide that door to open up for you. You thought that was where you were headed. We get comfortable in believing that we are bound to where we are at because it's become so familiar, because it's all we know. Instead of stepping forward and saying, God, but I'm believing you, I'm trusting you that you're in this with me, that somehow, yeah, I heard the giant, I heard they're really big over there. I heard it's, it's, it's going to be an impossible task for me, but God, but God. And so we, we look at this and in verse two through four, this is where I hear the gospel. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be our sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. To sum it all up, what I was just saying is that what we couldn't do, Christ has done. So what does this look like though in every area of your life? Well, God, I'm, I'm just... I'm trusting that I'm gonna be healed from this. I'm trusting that I'm gonna come off of some of the things that doctors say I need to be on. I'm I'm trusting that for my son in the back that the diagnosis that his physiatrist has has given him is not the same one that the Lord has given him. So I have to let this gospel of what Jesus has done, I can't do. I can't fix, search- I can't fix myself. I can't fix my family. I can't fix the people around me that I love. I can't fix you in this house But Jesus has already done it. So if we'll allow the gospel to begin to work its way into every area of our life, that's what it is. He's already done it. It is finished. It is finished. Let his final word be the verdict that we receive for our lives. Amen? Amen. So fast forwarding, jumping to verse 22, we know that the whole creation in Romans 8 has been groaning, is in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. You know, we saw that the Israelites, they would, they groaned and there was an answer from their groaning. They're like, oh, we're here in this slavery. And the answer came in that God remembered and then God called and the call came in the form of a man named Moses. And so for us, our groaning has come in the form of a man who is our leader, who is our God and his name is Jesus. And we see that from that common groaning for the whole creation is groaning, as in the pains of childbirth. Now, how many of you know, you've heard this saying, right? No pain, no gain. And usually it's around the first of the year and it has to do with your resolution of going and working out and and no pain, no gain. I see wives looking at husbands. Apparently that resolution has ended. And so it's still true that oftentimes there's no growth in a tree without some pruning. There is no life without a gestation period of waiting. There is nothing to be shown for it without those final pushes in the, in the form of labor. But these aren't usually what we really like to chalk up our glory days to, right? Because these are no fun. But he says in verse 23, but not only so, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirits, we are groaning this common desire to be adopted as sons. And he equates the adoption as sons to the redemption of our bodies, not just adoption as sons, as you are a part of the family, you have received restitution for forgiveness of sins, but to a new life that is for eternity, the resurrection of what you currently live in and walk in right now. Because all things have not been made perfect until we can be with him forever. That was the original plan that what happened in the cool of the day would be our eternity with him forevermore. That as God would come and commune with even Adam and Eve before the first bite of the fruit, which I hope you enjoyed today. We had some, I don't think we had apples. Thanks, Mary. But we had some fruit. But you think about the, the fault line of what happened there and what was crossed, that what was lost was this, this connectedness. And that's what Christ was redeeming. But it cost him something. It costed his connectedness. Let's go there. And so this resurrection life hasn't left us hopeless as we see in verse 24, for in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. And we talked about this a little bit last week about how hope is built in faith and believing that God, that he will do what he says he will do. He will be faithful to be who he says he is. And I'm not talking about an inactive hope of, man, I hope it all works out or man, I hope God comes through. I'm talking about the hope that is up in the middle of the night, believing for that wayward son or daughter to return to the Lord. I'm talking about hope that is beside that bedside saying, God, you can do it. I've heard of your fame. I've heard of your miracles. I'm believing God, this is who you are. That what Jesus did not only on that cross, but on his way that through those stripes, We are healed and this is a dear brother, sister, God, would you do it again? Hope is fervent. Hope stands in trust and believing that God will be who he says he is. Hope is not inactive. And we talked about it a little bit last week. You remember uh, in some of the things that, that you'll hear out there is that hope is one of the distinguishing markers of what makes us unique to all of the rest of creation. You think about the rest of creation, they can't create futures. They can't create these plans of dreams or they they don't have that within their spectrum, their bandwidth, so to speak. But you uniquely wired in his image, hope is so closely attached to who we are uniquely in his image because it is the creative power of God within us. You remember, God says this through Jeremiah. I love this. I don't even know where I put it, but it's really good. I have plans for you, plans to give you hope and a future, right? Right. Jeremiah 29, 11, speaking to the nation of Israel, but you are his people and he has plans for you not to give up hope and it's attached to your future. So let's look now at the verses I want us to land on here. Verses 31 through 32. What then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Mm. Sometimes this is just what we need to repeat over and over in our life. If God is for us, who can be against? Us? If God is for me, who can be against me? If God is for me, who can be against me? But I think to the, to the audience that, that Paul is writing to in Rome, they're like, really, Paul? Have, have you heard about what's happening like literally believers are being persecuted. It is nasty. You yourself have been in and out of prison. And yet you're saying, if God is for us, who can be? Well, apparently you know otherwise, Paul. And, and I could talk to you, you'd be like, "If, but God's for you. Really, Michael? Have you seen what's going on? Have you have you heard what's happening in my marriage? Have you heard what's going on with my son or daughter? Have you heard the, the sickness that we're facing in my family? What do you mean if God is for us, who can be against us? There's plenty of things that feel like they're against me and i believe paul would echo that god is always greater than what the enemy has designed to work against you god can redeem god will use for his glory joseph would have never thought that the pathway to the palace would have been through the pit Joseph Joseph would have never chosen that, hey, most likely to succeed, and I hope it comes with my brother selling me off as slave, as a slave, and, and then you know, one day it'll end up and I'll be here and then I'll be thrown in jail and I'll interpret some dreams. And I don't think Joseph ever saw that as the pathway to his destiny. Just like you maybe didn't see the twists and turns in your own life coming either. But God he is faithful and let's remember his faithfulness. Yeah. Who can be against us? Last week, Annette was sharing a little bit of her story and she was talking about how, um, you know, she, she had a, a rough background and the streets were her life. And she was talking about, but man, now I've got, I've got Pastor Michael's back and if anybody was to mess with him, and I kind of kiddingly got behind her and was like, you know, bring it. And, and the idea is, is that that's the God we serve. He is overshadowing anything circumstantially that you could be facing. He is monumentally way greater, more powerful, more glorious than anything you could ever face or see in your life. If God is for us, what is this that I'm so focused on that is against me? But we've got to look to the one, not to the failure or to the situation, but to the faithful father who is for us. Because we'll get so so warped as we look at the wrong things, as we'll get distracted and our eyes aren't on the faithful father that is for us. If God is for you, it doesn't mean that he spares you all things. It means that even the good that he has designed is greater than the adversary that is against us. The things that are against you, he may have even allowed you to go through so that you will be able to come out stronger on the other side. Perseverance has a purpose. And we forget whose we are. Greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. And in verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? This was the verse I was hoping to get to. Verse 32. He who did not spare. This speaks of the difficulty with which God, our father had, in even giving up his own son. You know, I don't have an only child. I had two kids um, before we adopted the third. And I think about the situation that God was in. I wasn't ever in the situation of having to give up one of my biologicals. I, I wasn't ever in the situation of having to sacrifice one of them to include another. But God was. So I don't, I can't fully understand that. I understand what it's been like to, to experience adoption in a different way that I didn't before. And so I'm on the receiving end as being adopted, but never on the sparing end. But this is the greatness of our God, of his love for you. And I, I want you to walk away with a sense of what he has done for us is because of how ravished he is about you. His love, he has chosen you. And and so he gave himself up for us all. Literally, it means he delivered him over. And I think about how many times in the scriptures it says that Jesus was delivered over. There's a number of different times. We think about in that last supper, there he was with the one who would betray him, taking this meal together of remembering what he was about to do. And literally it was Judas that would deliver him over according to Mark 3.19. And then it says in Mark 15 that Pilate delivered him over. And then we also see that Herod and the Jewish people and the Gentiles delivered him over according to Acts 4. And even in 1 Corinthians 15, we see that we delivered him over. But the greatest thing that ever happened in the history of mankind was when God delivered his son over. God chose to give up to deliver him over to death for something far greater than the sacrifice he was about to make. Really? If God is for, really God, this was greater. And then he goes on, Paul goes on in verse 32. He says, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. And I love that he uses that word graciously. It describes God's giving ever and always. He is giving. He is giving graciously. It is not with a stingy hand. It is not with the strings attached. It is not in manipulation that God has given us this. There is not a, man, I hope you don't, I hope you don't go out there and just waste this. It is his unconditional love. It is the God that we know and serve and love that he's not keeping score. He's not keeping score. And I think so often we think that that's the way God's love was. I know for a long time, I really struggled with when I would fail the Lord in my own mind. I mean, so much so I could tell you some extreme stories of what I was like as a teenager. Coming out of a holiness movement, I would keep a tally of the days I felt like I had really failed the Lord and when I had been faithful. It was unhealthy because I thought that somehow God's love for me could be changed by my singular failure. It is like saying, I heard a, a friend of mine in town, another pastor, he was like, it's like saying that that you could put a drop of food coloring into the ocean and change the whole scope of what it looks like. It's not gonna happen. God's love is so extreme, and you're not gonna, your one failure, it's enveloped, it's covered by it. You don't see it anymore. It is gone. But that's the way we treat ourselves because we walk back to that guilt and that shame, and we allow the condemnation to carry out who we are in our future. But that's not the God that we serve. He who did not spare his own son, how will he not also along with him graciously, graciously give you everything else that you need for this life? And as we rest in him, and as we take this because we can't earn it or deserve it, but we receive what he has done, we remember today. We remember today what he has done for us. And I want us to spend a few moments thinking about what that moment of God delivering his son meant for their relationship. Talking about how we can be connected today because he was separated then. And i look at on this resurrection day, what he has done for us. In Psalm 22 and Luke uh, 24 are gonna be a couple of passages we look at, but I want us to look before we do. There has only been this one moment of history when the father has ever been separated from the son and there's never been another moment like it. Literally that moment of when God had to turn his back on his son because of the sin and the shame that he had taken, not because of what Jesus had done, but before you and for me. And there was that moment of history when the earth shook and the curtain ripped and the skies grew dark because of the separation that had lasted for all eternity up to that point and to never be experienced again occurred. And so that disconnection happened that hopefully because of you and me can experience this connection that we would have never had, never had. So I want us to look at this so powerful. And I believe that Jesus did this. I have a hard time wrapping my, ra- my mind around the joy set before him that he would endure the cross. But that joy, I have to look into your eyes and believe it was you and that it was me and it was that we could be connected again in relationship that the restoration of what was originally intended that fellowship and communion with our father and with the trinity in our life that jesus praying for us on our behalf has sent the holy spirit that we could have that communion again because he was separated we can be connected and i want us to look back and and if you'll throw up we're going to he's going to play a video turn the volume way down. I want to read some verses from Psalm 22. And for kids that are in here, this is a portion of the, of the, the passion, um, but it is where Jesus would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you'll play that, I'm going to read Psalm 22 and what was happening during this moment. And the prediction that David gave as a prophet writing this Psalm, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet." All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lot for my garments. But you, Lord, be not far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to my help. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nation will bow down before him for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep alive themselves will live again. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn. He has done it. The separation was the true agony that our Savior experienced that day. Yeah, I'm sure the 39 lashes and the crown of thorns and the nails were excruciating. But the real agony that I believe that even led to the drops of blood to sweat from him in the garden of Gethsemane that night before were because of the separation that he was going to experience from his eternal father. But he would endure that. He would take that upon himself. He would allow that to happen. He would give himself and his father would even deliver his son over to be separated so that you could be connected, so that you could not walk in the guilt and the shame or the condemnation any longer, but in the freedom that he has destined you for, that you could be connected again. And it was about noon, Luke 23. Verse 44, the darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon and the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And then he breathed his last. The centurion saw what had happened. He said, surely this was a righteous man. Every witness began to beat their breast and they went away. And those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. But then a man named Joseph, he requested for access to Jesus' body from Pilate and took it down, wrapped it in linen and placed it in a tomb. And in verse 55, the women had come with Jesus from Galilee, followed Joseph and they saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. And they went home and began to prepare spices because the Sabbath was coming. And they rested on the Sabbath in obedience. In chapter 24, verse 1, and on the first day of the week, ver- very early in the morning, the women took those spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away, and they entered, but he wasn't there. While they were wondering about this, two men, in clothes that gleamed like lightning, stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living? among the dead. He is not here. He has risen. Amen. The son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners. Remember what he said? That he would be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Verse eight, then they remembered his words. Today, I want us to join together as we remember not only Christ crucified and the separation for our connectedness, but that he lives forevermore so that we can have life to its fullest, what he has destined for you in being connected to him. Paul would write this as I'm wrapping up. We're going to spend some time in communion today, truly reflecting. But before we do, Paul would say this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Thus the resurrection for us, friends. For in verse 53, he says, for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable. If we are to dwell with God, we must be fully like him. This was the plan and the mortality with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death is your victory. Where, O oh death is your sting. The sting of death, it was sin. The power of sin, it was found in the law. We can't do it, friends. Jesus has finished it. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord. Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they are coming up, I want you to begin to prepare your hearts for what the Lord has done, to remember, to reflect well, because we would be short-sighted to walk through this moment without reflecting on what Jesus has done for us. I'm moving the table I need, don't I? And I think there are is a power in remembering what Christ has done that we oftentimes miss out on remembering. And what we're about to take part in is for those who are part of the family of God. And so before we go into that, I want to invite you first of all, to be connected to Christ. If you are separated, if you're saying, but I I feel so distant from God, maybe at a time you felt closer Maybe there are some things that have happened in your life that I don't know about. Maybe you've not shared with anyone, but have created that chasm, that that separation, that distance. And there's no better day than today to say, Jesus, I realize this is why you did it. I'm coming back. I want a fresh start and he is faithful. He is faithful to forgive us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? For a moment, as you reflect on what Jesus has done for you, the extreme measures he went through, the agony he would even face was because of his love for you. Because he has said, you are chosen. You are mine. And if this morning you would say, Michael, but that's not where I'm at. I don't feel that way. I, I'm, I get the guilt, the shame, the condemnation. That's where I feel that I really line up with what you've talked about today. Let's change that narrative. Let's rewrite that story moving forward. If you would say, Michael, yes, today, I want a fresh start. I want to be connected. I don't want to be disconnected and separated anymore. What my sin have allowed, I want to put an end to. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand with me this morning? Yes. Anyone else? Yes. Yes. As I pray for us, would you pray with me in your own heart? Father, we thank you. We thank you that you would be willing to even deliver your own son. You would give him up for us. You would allow that agony and that separation to occur so that we could be connected to you. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for redemption in a fresh start, a clean slate. Thank you that you give us this a thousand times over. And Lord, today, in the moment of remembering, we say thank you for your blood. Thank you for your body, and thank you for your resurrection life. We thank you that you loved us that much, that you're for us, that no one can be against us. Amen and amen. And before we serve the elements, I just want to read a couple of passages. I've been reading a book on the power of communion. It's been really powerful to, to think about this day in this moment. I'm going to read just a couple of paragraphs. When we take communion in remembrance of what Jesus did on the cross, we are stewarding the greatest testimony in history. The Israelites escaped Egypt after 10 supernatural plagues rained down on their captors. They walked through the Red Sea on dry land. They were led by pillars of cloud and fire. They were fed supernaturally and never got sick, wore the same clothes for 40 years, like many of you guys have as well. Just kidding. Yet they didn't have Jesus. They didn't have the cross or the resurrection. They didn't have a savior that takes away the sins of the world. Let us not pass over that. And often we don't really want to remember the brutality of what Jesus went through for us. It was gruesome and uncomfortable. And when I remind myself of the details of Christ's death, I find that it keeps my health, my heart in a posture of overwhelming gratitude. It renews my perspective on whatever challenge I'm going through. For 33 years, Jesus had lived on earth Three of those spent serving in a fruitful, but probably exhausting time of public ministry. And as he neared the end of his life, Jesus wrestled with what he was about to do. Jesus was the only one besides the father who was aware of what he was about to go through. The intensity of that anticipation, not only of his own physical death, but also of the agony of being separated from the father because of the sin of the world. This must have been so painful and why he literally sweat drops of blood. As we come today and we remember his body and his blood, I want you to think about the connection that he has given us. And what I'm gonna ask is that everyone would stand to their feet together with me this morning. And we've got, George's in the back and I'm gonna be standing up front and you can come during this song. We're gonna allow just, uh, we'll start on this side you're on the left side facing the stage. On my right side, we'll have the front row just come up and I'm going to serve you the back row. You may exit and then go to George until we get to the soundboard. If you can just, we'll kind of do one row at a time and alternate side to side here. And I want you to take this back and take it at your, own, at your own leisure, so to speak. I want you to spend as much time as you need because Paul said this, that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus took the bread And he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he passed the cup. And he said, this is my blood that was poured out, that was shed for you. As often as you take this, do this in remembrance of me. So if you will come and take this, you can dip your wafer and carry it back to your seat. I want you to remember the Lord and what he has done for you not only through his death, but also his resurrection. Would you come? Jesus, we thank you again. We thank you for the sacrifice that you have paid, but not only through your death, but through your life, we can have life forevermore with you in heaven. Father, we thank you that you have been with us in this place. We pray that your presence would go with us. We continue to just marinate these words in our hearts as we walk out the call that you have on each one of us as sons and as daughters. Thank you for the adoption that we have experienced into your family. Holy Spirit, be with us throughout this week. It's in your name we pray, Jesus' name. Amen and amen. There is nothing more powerful than the simplicity of the gospel, of what Jesus has done, both through his death and also through his resurrection. I hope that you will continue just to meditate on that throughout this week. If you've missed the prior two weeks that have built up to this simple, simple message, I hope you'll catch those on our website and on our podcast. They will help you look back in order to move forward. Join us again next Sunday. We hope to see you then and hug someone on your way out. God bless.